Oh, gee. Blog Talk Radio. Right at the top of the show, a little bit of a sad note. 
hate to start on a sad note, but we have to do it tonight. Yeah, Don, uh, today was a funeral for a young man, uh, Deputy uh, Christopher Taylor of Charlie of the uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Chris was writing, had pulled a motorist over for speeding and was getting the documents from him, standing there talking to the person on the side of the road, and a woman coming northbound lost control of her car, uh, hit his car, driving his car into the car in front, killing him and injuring the driver of the first car. Uh, Chris was 23 years old. Uh, he leaves a, a, a fiancé, two sisters, and a uh, uh, and two dogs. And he will be ever uh, mindful of a, of a, please, when you're out there and you're drinking, don't drive. This is a very sad situation, especially a man this young who was very eager to make it in, the, in law enforcement. Um, it's a very tough job, but this makes it tougher. We'd also like to ask that uh, our, our fans out there would say a prayer for Bob Alexander. Bob is a, is a drive-time jock for iHeartRadio. Uh, Bob is also a boxing official and part of our Saturday night uh, broadcasting group. Bob has come down with uh, some kind of a uh, they can't. They don't have a diagnosis for it. They can't say why, but he's losing. He's lost 125 pounds in this last Oof. year. And uh, Bob is. Uh, I know Bob's listening. Uh, we talked about uh, 25 minutes ago. Uh, Bob, uh, we wish you the very best. You're one of the best uh, commentators that we have, as far as fighting is concerned, and one of the best officials I've ever seen in, in the ring. So. Uh, if you could just, uh, if you say a prayer, please, if you don't pray, please just keep a good thought for him. Amen. All right, that's a sad note to start on, Frank. You're exactly right, but let's jump to a little happier topic. Our first guest is always Roy Cummings in Tampa, Florida. And, of course, uh, Tampa, Florida has been making some news with Mr. Brady of uh, the last four or five weeks, and it didn't, it didn't go away from Tom Brady this past Sunday either. Roy, I'll tell you, they are really struggling. Yeah, they are, and uh, you know it appears as guys as though the, the struggles are largely from within. I mean, um, last week against the uh, against the, the Cleveland Browns, uh, a three and seven team going into the game, obviously not a not a great team, uh, not a team you fear in any way, really. Um, I mean, adequate defensively, maybe a little better than that, but uh, it's certainly not an offense that you're really scared of. Um, except for the fact that, you know, obviously Nick Chubb is, uh, you know, one of the premier running backs in the game. But the issue is, or was, or became, the the Bucks with uh, plenty of time on the clock, you know, 48 seconds uh, when the uh, period starts, or the, 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 and uh, the game's tied. And um, uh, the coach, uh, Todd Bowles, literally afraid that Tom Brady is going to throw an interception. And so he doesn't use his timeouts. Um, they're afraid to, you know, make some certain, you call certain plays. How are you afraid that Tom Brady of all people, uh, is going to throw an interception against a team like Cleveland in a, uh, in a critical situation there? Uh, I just, I don't get it. And so you've got a coach that is sort of all but proving that he doesn't belong as a head coach. You got an offensive uh, coordinator who's in essence proving that he may not, fit as an offensive coordinator 
Um, because, boy, oh, boy, does this team look different than it did a year ago. Remember a year ago, guys, two years ago, three years ago, uh, when it all started here with Tom Brady, uh, Bruce Arians was, was just, you know, it was basically, you know, how, how quickly can we get to the uh, offensive scheme where, you know, where we're throwing it downfield and, and testing uh, defenses every play of the game. And uh, it took a few weeks, um, but they got to that point, and they really tested uh, everybody. And, you know, it was no risk at no biscuit offense. Well, now uh, there, there's no risk. Uh, the offense is very predictable. It's not a scary offense in any way. Uh, they're throwing the ball a lot, but largely because they're behind and trying to catch up and can't run the ball effectively at times. Uh, and, and yet Tom Brady has thrown two interceptions against 480 passes. And you got a head coach who's afraid to have him throw a pass um, with uh, 28 seconds left in the game, 26 seconds left in the game uh, against Cleveland uh, with the game tied to avoid uh, overtime. So then, of course, they go to overtime. And again, uh, you know, they were just, you know, not strong enough defensively to they couldn't take the ball away again. Um, and so uh, Cleveland comes out the winner in a game. Uh, that the Bucks, you know, you, you look at it on paper and it's it's like this shouldn't even be a, much of a match, and uh, yet it was. And so there are a lot of problems here in Tampa right now. Uh, the fan base is starting to really question the decision to make Todd Bowles the head coach. Uh, really, there's been a lot of questions all along about uh, Byron Leftwich's uh, play calling, uh, the design of his offensive scheme, and it looks like as much as Tom Brady wants to override things at times, he's not doing a job there either. So uh, they've got some real problems. And as I said, most of them appear to be from within. And uh, Roger in, in Atlanta, the one thing that the Bucks have done is left the door wide open for the Atlanta Falcons and everybody else in the division, and nobody can win. They're one game under 500. They're in first place. Well, I know that you're exactly right, but I'll tell you just uh, to follow up with Roy, uh, the uh, today on uh, Chris Russo's uh, Mad Dog, uh, the uh, your buddy Ira Kaufman was on, and uh, he brought up a lot of your points, Roy. Maybe you even heard it, and uh, uh, and it was about Todd Bowles uh, and also uh, Lefwich about whether they are competent. And uh, I think, as, uh, as he, re- he said, uh, the Bucks are averaging 18 points a game, I believe. And um, I think that's uh, even more than the, uh, the only one, I guess, with less is, probably, is the uh, Washington uh, football team. And, uh, Roy, what do you think uh, – is will the Glazer family make a move on the coaches? Uh, first of all, I didn't hear Ira's commentary today on uh, with Mad Dog. Uh, yeah, he was good not the, as usual. Yeah, well, he yeah. always is. Yeah, he always is. Um, and look, he, he whatever he said. I mean, if it's if it's it, it, it probably much like what I've been saying. You know, is very representative of how the people here in Tampa are feeling about this football team. Think about this, guys. I mean, you went into a game last week against Cleveland, granted on the road, with Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Julio Jones all healthy, and Cameron Brait, by the way, all healthy, uh, and, you know, and, and Leonard Fournette not healthy, and yet you still couldn't score enough points to win a game against Cleveland. You had to go to overtime. I mean, 
if, if, if that's a place where you decide, okay, you know what, this is not how we want to do it necessarily. We like to be more balanced. But if we have to throw the ball 45 times today, we'll throw it 45 times. I mean, how do you not challenge uh, that defensive secondary uh, of the Browns? I understand you don't, don't necessarily want that pass rush coming at you, but um, you got to figure out a way. I mean, with those weapons, guys, how do you not throw the ball? How are you afraid to throw the ball uh, late in the game with, with the game on the line? Uh, ball in your in your hands uh, and the greatest quarterback of all time engineering a, a two minute drill. How do you, how are you afraid to make those plays? I mean, uh, it's just it's unconscionable what has happened here with this team. They rep, what they look like on the field, guys, is no in no way representative of what the back of their football card looks like. Um, you just you would not know that. Uh, that it's Mike Evans out there. You wouldn't know that Julio Jones is on this team. You look at the, at the stats at the end of the day, and it looks like a Trent Dilfer run offense from back in the, back in the early 90s. I mean, it's just it's brutal. It's just brutal. And the de- defense has become kind of ordinary. I mean, they're not blitzing as much, uh, and I'm not exactly sure why, uh, probably because they're trying to keep guys back and try to you know see if they can get some takeaways, but that's not working either. Roy, let me ask you this. Two years ago, three years ago, they were saying, hey, this offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the next guy lined up to be a head coach. Holy smokes, has his number of of, uh, moved up and down in three years. Boy, he's going from the top of the line right now. I would say somewhere below the middle of even being talked about. Yeah, it's a great point. And look, I was never a buyer of that theory that that Byron Leftwich is the next great coordinator slash head coach. The reason I say that is because all along, Byron Leftwich came into what has got to be easily one of the greatest situations that a that a young coordinator uh, could come into. He came into a, situa- a situation where the offense was already in place. And it was an and it's a well-known offense, known for producing a lot of points, known for being uh, very daring. Obviously, the the risk it no biscuit, uh, no risk it no biscuit offense of uh, of Bruce Arians. So he comes in with that number one. He comes in with a load of talent at the wide receiver and tight end position. He comes in with a a, a better than expected offensive line. And oh, by the way, he's also got the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, throwing the ball around for him. So you've got that, a hungry Leonard Fournette. I mean, you couldn't miss is what I'm getting to. You couldn't miss, at least I didn't think you could miss until now, because now he's missing on everything. He's not daring. They don't take chances. They don't, they don't target their best players consistently. Uh, it, it's just remarkable. They, there's no balance. Uh, when there is balance, it's probably, you know, it, it's not, not necessarily necessary or called for um, or, or warranted even in some cases, like last week. Um, it's just, it's just, it's hard to imagine that uh, two guys uh, thought of so highly uh, for what they've done as coordinators uh, could, uh, in essence, destroy a, a Super Bowl contending team and turn them into mush. I mean, they've turned them into a le- – I mean, they're just – they're not even pre- – they're pretenders. They're pretenders. They're so fortunate that the Falcons are, are, are the mess that they are 
and that the that nobody in this division seems to figure anything out. Look, they've got a big game this week coming up Monday, guys, against the Saints. Andy Dalton's going to be the quarterback, and, and we all know that Andy Dalton's just good enough to, to maybe get you to the playoffs. But you know what? Right now, that's all he has to be. And with that team in New Orleans, don't be surprised. If New Orleans can win four games down the stretch here uh, and beat the Bucks doing with one as one of them, they could win this division. So this division is Maybe. wide open. Roger, well, you uh, know this what? division is not only wide open, but it's a disaster. I mean, well, yeah. nobody's, well, nobody's right. needed 500 for crying out loud. Well, you know what's interesting? Look at the way the NFC South, and just the, uh, since last year, the year before, has turned, and look at the, what the NFC uh, East is. I mean, you know, where all four teams could make it to the playoffs, okay, in, in the East. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And, and, uh, but it's sad, I mean, that the uh, South has uh, just fallen apart. I mean, it, well, it's, it's just uh, it's unbelievable. It's sad, it's sad, Roger, but it's not really a surprise in regards to Carolina, Okay. Don't really know what they've got at quarterback. I mean, they've tried six this year. Injuries are part of that. Fired their head coach. Uh, it's not really sad in the case of Atlanta because obviously that uh, you know they went away from uh, from Matt Ryan and there's a transition there. Uh, you go back to a guy who, who who hasn't succeeded really at a high level in the NFL. Uh, the, the talent level is obviously uh, depleted in Atlanta, so you're not surprised at the way they're uh, uh, the, the way they're playing. Uh, you look at New Orleans, and, and again, the quarterback that you, you, you plan to lean on, Jameis Winston, has been hurt. Uh, your backup is, uh, is, is uh, Andy Dalton, who we know is a game management type guy. He's just good enough to win you some games here and there and probably you know get you to the playoffs. And, and, but they've been hurt, too, in, in some key areas. So the other three teams in the division, it's not a surprise that they're struggling. It's no surprise whatsoever that they're struggling. It's a ridiculous surprise that Tampa Bay is struggling, given the talent that they have. Sure, they've had a couple of injuries, but right now, Chris Godwin is as healthy as he's been in a year and a half or two years. Julio Jones is as healthy now as he has been in the last couple of years. These guys are feeling it. They're playing at a high level, and yet the Bucks can't seem to take advantage of it. And you look at the talent on defense, they can't seem to make that work. I mean, you've got a guy like Vita Vea who's, you know, being washed out because they can't figure out schemes defensively that allow him to get uh, one-on-one uh, situations. They're not blitzing the linebackers. They got two tremendous, uh, underrated downhill linebackers in Devin White and Levante David. They never send them down. They're hardly ever sending them downhill anymore. Uh, the secondary's been beat up, but you know what? There's a lot of depth there. They could be doing a lot of different things with the safeties and the and the corners but you don't see much, many corner blitzes anymore. It's just, it's, a, it's remarkable. I mean, it, it's like this team is playing scared and, and they're scared to do what they should be doing and what they do best, which is, you know, targeting, uh, you know, these, these five, six receivers that they've got that are as good as anybody, you know, in the league, uh, targeting, uh, you know, you, making use of the, uh, the players who can really attack a, a line of scrimmage, uh, you know, defensively. It's just remarkable, guys. And, um, you know, yeah, to answer your question, uh, uh, Don, I think that at the end of the day, uh, if it goes this – first of all, if the Bucks miss the playoffs, I, I, think, uh, I think they'll all be fired. 
if they make the playoffs and get knocked out early, uh, you might see one get fired. Um, but right now, you got to have somebody to replace them. And I don't think the Bruce Arians is coming back off the uh, back out of the you know the uh, out of the press box. But uh, we'll have to say, wait and see. Maybe they give him a yeah, second chance. Yeah, he's been in the hospital too. Try to shake it up. Yeah, exactly. He's not he's not coming back. But I mean, at some point, you, you, you say, you've got to say to these guys, look, you've got a Rolls Royce of a football team here. Uh, it's, it, you're driving it like it's a Yugo. You got to stop this. Well, At the same time, you. Roger, we've uh, seen a very interesting development. We keep talking about coaches, and uh, Matt Rule jumped right back on his feet out there in Nebraska. I mean, he left, uh, I don't know, he went, what was he unemployed? About four weeks when he was yeah. let by the Panthers, and all of a sudden he's out there in Nebraska, and can he do something that the last four or five coaches haven't been able to come close to? Well, you know, I hope he does. I saw uh, when he was interviewed, Don, and uh, – <laughs> You know, he brought up uh, the way he turned Temple and Baylor around, which he did. And he, uh, I think he was only at Carolina, what, two and a half years. Right. And, uh, and there's a lot of instability there. And I don't think he was given uh, a fair shot. But I do see uh, what Steve Wilkes took over for him and has done a, uh, a pretty good job. I mean, I, I, they've won three or four at home, as I recall. And uh, I, I have to give him a lot of credit. They're playing uh, hard. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of, like, Dave Campbell in Detroit. Is, you know, he's really seems to have gotten them turned around. They're, they play hard. So, you know, I, I wish uh, Steve Wolfs the best of luck, and I definitely wish Matt Rule a success at Nebraska. And I think he always wanted uh, – he always likes challenges, and he has one, like you said. They haven't won a lo- in a long time. Well, you look at the coaches, uh, Roy, you're the better judge than we because you see every single game. Uh, uh, we don't see them all. But uh, if you don't have a quarterback, I mean, in the National Football League now, it's more obvious, I think, this year than ever. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago about what New Orleans is going to do, and you're talking about basically a 500 or less quarterback. Yeah, he could win a game or two for you, but he's not going to win over the long run. And you look at the statistics they put up on Sunday of the number of quarterbacks the Bears have had, the number of quarterbacks you know, right up and down the line, and none of the teams ever been a winner. Well, how can they be a winner if you don't have a quarterback? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, it is a quarterback-driven league. It's the most, the most important position on the field. And, yes, you've got to have somebody who can execute at that position uh, at a high level. And, you know, I think the biggest problem that most teams have at that, at that spot is they don't give the young player enough time to truly develop uh, and become, uh, you know, and, and develop that veteran presence that you're looking for, develop that confidence. Um, teams are so quick to give these guys, you know, to, to usher them out. They get two, three years tops, uh, you know, and, and they move them out. Certainly Chicago is horribly guilty of uh, of that uh, of making mistakes and and it, you know it starts on draft day guys it starts on draft day it starts when you start to overrate a quarterback uh because you feel it's a need and maybe it, it is legitimately um you know but you start on draft day and and you elevate players on your draft board because you think you need that quarterback and then you find out that he is what he is you know um, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a nice player, and he can do a couple of things here and there, but, you know, he doesn't have all the tools that you need, and uh, something's missing, and, 
you know, whether it's leadership or arm strength or, uh, you know, ability to uh, diagnose defenses, uh, whatever it may be, uh, you usually find out pretty quickly that they're missing something. And then you try to adapt to that, and uh, you suddenly you start compromising your offense in areas. And, and now, you know, instead of winning 24 to 23, uh, you're losing uh, – uh, you're losing 24 to to, to 16, and uh, and the, and that's what you've seen, and you know you're seeing it now. And 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 you know what? Unfortunately, back to Matt Rule, the coaches end up play, paying the price for this. I mean, it's not Matt Rule's fault that, that Carolina doesn't have a quarterback. You know that was right. on, that's on them. You know they they didn't they didn't draft properly, and and you know granted or trade, this year or trade little, properly or or trade properly, and then right. this year. You've had injuries at the position, and when you have injuries at the position, you know darn well that you're. I mean, everybody's backup is is, is no nobody's got a backup except for San Francisco, I guess. That's that's really capable of of winning for you consistently. That's why they're your backup. Eagles, Eagles do too, Roy. He, yeah, okay, he's done you got it. a couple here and there. You got a couple here and there. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I just mentioned Andy Dalton. I mean, very few teams have that backup that is capable of winning you nine or ten games. The reason is, if they were that good, they'd be your, your starter they'd or be they'd be start, someone yeah. else's starter. Yeah. And so, you know, and Matt Rule's paying a, you know, paying the, paid the price for that, although I think he's in a great spot in Nebraska. Uh, I think he's going to – I hope he's going to flourish there, and I think he will. Meanwhile, I think Carolina is going to continue to struggle because they're in the same position that so many teams find themselves in when you don't have that quarterback. They're going to elevate somebody on draft day next year, and who knows if they've got, you know, the, the line to protect him, the running game to support him, uh, the receivers to, to, to throw to. You've got to have all those elements for a quarterback to succeed in this league. And, you know, there's a reason some guys can go to other places and, and they're suddenly better. You know, Geno Smith in, 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 in uh, Seattle, perfect example. When he was in New York, he didn't have anything around him that was going to allow him to be no. successful. Well, now he's got a little bit. Now he's got a – first of all, he's got a better coach. He's got a better scheme. And he's got some players, a couple. You know, you don't need, you don't need eight. You need two or three. And he's got that. And all of a sudden, gee, what a shock. You know, sometimes it, it all requires is a defense that can, that can hold on to a lead for you. Uh, but, again, so many teams elevate quarterbacks on draft day and that's when the problems begin because you end up uh, putting a guy out there who you think is a 10-game a winner for you when, in essence, he's really about a six-game winner for you. And then you find that out and you say, okay, well, he's not the guy. So you move on. And then you pick, a, you pick up a seven-game winner, and then you realize he's not the guy. I mean, you, we're describing basically what's happened in Carolina over the last few years. We're certainly describing what's happened in, uh, uh, in Chicago and several other places. You need that no quarterback, about it. and you need to build Steve Casella is standing by. We're going to get a little baseball conversation in a moment, but just like you give us a little 50-second rundown on what do you think about the Lightning, because I'll tell you, National Hockey League's got some teams that just keep winning and winning coming out of the gate. going to be interesting to see what happens as we go up and down the season. Yeah, the Lightning have found their footing uh, here after a, a bit of a tough start. Uh, looking really good. I mean, it's no shame in losing uh, on the road to Boston, that's for sure, as they did the other night. But um, they are, look, they're, Boston doesn't they're lose. The contra- I'm sorry? Boston doesn't lose. Yeah, that's right. Boston doesn't lose. Uh, and the Lightning haven't been losing much lately. Uh, look, they've got uh, they got Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point going. 
the goaltender's always going to keep them in games. They're they are looking really good. But right now, that East, well, the whole the whole uh, you know both both uh, conferences have some really really strong teams. Um, but they're going to be there. They have, uh, as I said, they found their footing. Uh, they're building their confidence back up, and uh, uh, clearly, uh, the one thing the Lightning know how to do is they know how to win when it matters most. So, uh, watch out for them going forward, guys, because I think they've uh, I think they found their uh, they found their uh, they found their groove here a little bit. Roy, well, once got again, a great quick... first half hour. I really appreciate it as always, and uh, I'll tell you, we cover a lot of football and a little bit of hockey, but uh, we'll get to it next week uh, along the line. Thank you so much. Just Thanks one quick guys, question to Roy before he goes, okay? Do you think, yes or no, Brady will be with his third team in, in his career next year? Uh, yes, I think, he, I think he will. Okay, very good. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> For sure. Have a great week, Roy. Okay. All right, let's turn the page down and get a little baseball because we've got the expert in that department. Steve Cancel is on with us right now, and uh, – Steve, uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of meetings. This time last year, because of the strike looming over everybody's head, everybody was signing. Uh, right now, there's a lot of conversations, and I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective as to which way you're, whether you think some of these players are going to go. Well, it's always interesting this time of year, but, you know, the, the traction hasn't even built yet where you can actually, you know, like, come up with like scenarios like the the agents haven't really been leaking anything you know yes we knew Aaron Judge was going to go visit the Giants and we knew that you know Trey Turner was going to be a Phillies target right. uh in a little you know as we get closer to the winter meetings more things will leak uh you know t- players will be visiting teams we didn't even think they were visiting mystery teams will start entering the situation um, right now, it's just the, the slow dance, you know, before the winter meetings, agents and players getting together, and nothing earth-shattering has happened as, as of yet, and, you know, these, these meetings still have to go on. So next week at the winter meetings will be interesting to see what comes out. I think uh, a few years ago, I remember, uh, I think Anthony Rendon signed with the uh, Angels and Strasburg signed with the Nationals and uh, – I think there's one one other big signing at the time uh, to really make that winter meetings uh, quite spectacular in the uh, almost half a billion dollars in contracts. So we'll see how this one goes. Roger, I'll let you get the first question in. Well, I'll tell you, I've heard a couple of uh, good rumors today, uh, Steve, and you always uh, have the inside scoop about the uh, Giants are ready to spend a lot of money uh, but uh, some uh, of the so-called experts don't think that they will get Aaron Judge. What do you think? Well, I think it's a good meeting. You know, they put all the uh, all the pieces on the table. I don't think Aaron Judge wants to leave the Bronx. But if he did leave, if he does leave, um, you know, uh, if he does leave New York, I've always thought that San Francisco, which is about 45 minutes to an hour from his hometown, um, would be the place that he would go, uh, either there or the Dodgers, uh, would be the uh, you know would be the uh, logical landing spots based on what they what teams could pay him. Um, you know, it, it could simply come down to we talked about this before. Do the Yankees you know do they value Aaron Judge uh, more than the Cardinals valued Albert Pujols when they let him go, or when the Atlanta Braves valued Freddie Freeman when they let him go? Do the Yankees have a breaking point? That would be the question that needs to be answered. Um, the Giants could break the, you know, the, the Giants could sail past 
the Yankees' breaking point is what I'm getting at. But that that's yet to be determined. Steve, it's almost the same scenario with DeGrom. Uh, they keep talking about the clubs that he's going to visit with, uh, what he's looking for in terms of money, or does he want to go up to Scherzer's uh, salary range of, you know, uh, $40 million a year, whatever it is, $30-some million a year. Uh, is he going to be able to get that kind of money? But in the background, the whole, to me anyway, and, and all the press you see from New York, he really wants to stay in New York. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, he, you know, that that makes sense that he'd want to stay where he's comfortable. You know, he has a few. First of all, we only hear right now about what he wants and not what the market's willing to pay him at this point. For instance, DeGrom has a very scratch-and-dent history the last couple of years with that arm. Right. That may devalue him to the point where he wants to do a, uh, I'll just use a Carlos Correa instead of Max Scherzer type contract, where maybe he does a three one thirty, you know, a three one hundred million or a three one ten, where he has an opt out after one year, like Carlos Correa did. Maybe that's what the market's telling him, or maybe he wants to have the security of a six year one eighty or a seven year two ten which is a lower AAV but more you know more guaranteed money. So this this gets down to the point where we're hearing what he wants and what he feels his market is, but we're not really hearing the pushback from teams. Similar to what I, I, I mentioned about Aaron Judge and the Yankees, we don't know what the Yankees' breaking point, if there is one, if it's been established. So more stuff to pay attention to. Uh, DeGrom, to me, is a pretty big risk no matter how you slice it, just because of the arm injury history in, in recent years. So, you know, buyer beware would be my uh, – the, the upside's incredible. The, the What you could get from him is incredible, but you do have a certain more amount of risk that you have to take on. So, Roger? Did we lose Roger? Let's go back. No, I'm here. No, I'm here. I'm here, Don. The uh, my question is, uh, Steve, do you feel uh, talk about some of these players that you mentioned, uh, the free agents? Where do you really think that they will wind up? I I I have my own idea about the Phillies, but I'd like uh, uh, your 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 input. Yeah, at this point, I would look to Aaron Judge staying with the Yankees, Jacob DeGrom staying with the Mets, and Trey Turner ending up in Philadelphia um, would be the three, you know, what that I would lean to right now. I don't know if the Dodgers are going to are gonna ante up for uh, Trey Turner. I, I think they will. They'll be in, involved, and Trey Turner may want to return. So I'd put a coin flip. You know, I'd actually, I'd hedge more to the Dodgers uh, keeping uh, Trey Turner. Um, unless they can swing a deal for a Willie Adamas and invest uh, extra money somewhere else, um, but as far as as far as the big you know the big the big three free agents, I, I would believe that Degrom wants to stay with the Mets and Aaron Judge wants to stay with the Yankees, and I I believe that that's probably where they're going to end up. You know, Degrom could surprise and end up in Texas, who are really you know they didn't hire uh, Bruce Bochy out of retirement to go bring in the uh, you know third tier starting pitchers into the fold, so. That would be the team I would keep an eye on for DeGrom more than any other, other than the Mets, of course. I, I would tend to agree with that, I, I, although I, I would say this. I, you're talking about a player who's 34 years of age, as you said at the beginning of the show, and everybody has said, uh, as it's been written since really the middle of last year when he came back, and 
was very, very effective first four or five games and then slid back a little bit after that. Uh, I, I just would be so hesitant about giving out anything more than a two- or three-year contract for DeGrom, maybe higher money, but no long-term contract for a guy that in the last three years hasn't pitched very much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, the team, Phil, you know, his choice is, you know, the Max Scherzer-type structure, or as I brought up, the Carlos Correa-type structure, um, you know, where he could opt out after a year. You know, when you see the success that Max Scherzer is having later in his career and Justin Verlander is having later in his career, and, you know, DeGrom can lean on Verlander. Verlander didn't pitch in 2020 um, and, and you know, barely pitched in 20 and then barely pitched in – or didn't pitch in 21 and came out and gave a ton of innings and made that $25 million uh, payoff for Houston 10 times over. So with that as a backdrop, you can kind of see where he might be looking at a three-year deal, you know, where the where he could opt out after each year of the contract. And if he has a good, you know, if he puts up 180 to 200 innings, um, then he he's certainly would put himself back on the market into the uh, Max Scherzer category. You know, if, if what to say the three-year deal is a 375, so to speak. Roger. Well, I was thinking about a, a team opt out, opt out. What do you think about that? I don't know. I don't. I don't think he will take it. That that's the, the no. He would not take a team opt out. He's not here to give charity to the teams trying to land him and, and give them a give them a, a pressure relief valve. You know, he's not going to give them a ripcord out of the contract. You know that's what these well, that's about what these contracts do. A three-year deal with after two, uh, there, there's a, a mutual opt-out. How about something like that? You think that might work? Not no. I, I think the leverage is on him. The upside that he can sign is very similar to Carlos Correa and Justin Verlander and a, and a Max Scherzer who had guaranteed money. Uh, there's enough teams that are willing to give that three-year guarantee uh, to him. Um, for the upside, uh, it, you know, signing him isn't for the faint-hearted. Let's put it that way. I mean, if you're in it, you gotta. You're, you're like, you know, Justin Verlander signing that deal last year <laughs> was quite a surprise. A guy didn't pitch for two years and he landed 25 million with an opt-out. Uh, that's quite impressive. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I, he's, he's the one guy, and I know Verlander's, uh, you know. Been very successful this year in Houston when you won the Cy Young Award, winning 18 games. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I, for me, a 40-year-old, uh, he had a great year last year. Uh, but boy, oh boy, I'd hate to invest too much money in Verlander. I, I'd rather go in a different direction if I were a general manager there. Yeah, you know uh, what you're looking at with Verlander is everybody used to say that about Randy Johnson when he was 39 or 40 and he won four Cy Youngs in a row. Uh, you know, when he signed his contract. So every once in a while, teams just say, you know what, we could be looking at the next Randy Johnson, who, you know, in the ages of 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, whatever it was, um, could be very, could, could be very, very effective. Um, like you say. Uh, Steve, let me interrupt here a second. Hard. How about when you got a new general manager coming? Here's a guy, you know, with a world championship team and he gets fired. And you bring a new guy in to run the organization. Is he going to take? You know, is he going to sit down with the with the rest of the uh, 
decision-making staff of the Astros and say, we're going we're gonna to give this guy who's 40 years old, who really did not close out in the playoffs very well at all. And Scherzer did the same thing with the Mets. He, he didn't close out in September or the playoffs. Uh, you know, those guys, to me, uh, you're, you're putting yourself on a, on a real string. Yeah, well, you know, giving giving almost $60 million to a 37-year-old or whatever, Jose Abreu kind of answers your question. The answer is, yeah, it's only money in Houston. You know, they're not they're not crying poor. You know, no. if they if they end up getting burned for forty, fifty, sixty million dollars on the back end of a two years of Justin Verlander, they're not gonna cry about it. You know, that's the advantage that the teams that have money have. It's called, you know, risk mitigation. You know, if you're the Kansas City Royals, you can't go out there and put dead money on the books and risk it. You know, if you're the Phillies, the Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Astros Sure, you go out there, and if you, if you end up with dead money on the books, you just write it off, and you know it's uh, it's it's you, you, that's where the risk comes in, where these teams can take on the risk of these veterans. You know, you won't. Well, we've, we've seen Scherzer now three years in a row get a tired arm at the end of the year and not really be effective. I, you know, I, I he did a nice job for the you know for the Mets through most of the season. Uh, he kept them in first place, no question about that. But now you're two years down the line. Uh, Roger, yeah, I don't, think the Mets, I don't think the Mets right. care either if Scherzer costs them money on the back end of his contract. I don't think they care. They have more money than God with Steve Cohen and that team. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they operate on a different set of principles than, say, the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's a reason why sometimes having money in, in Major League Baseball allows you to take on more risk and get more reward because you could write off the back end of contracts. Right. Roger? Yeah, well, when I was looking at Verlander, uh, what I like, you mentioned, Steve, he he gives you a lot of innings. And, uh, you know, you need that during the season, you know, with 162 games. And then the, the when you get into the short series and if you uh, are at the top of the heat and, you know, you get a bye and obviously in the wild card, but uh, you know, that's when you can just use less of your staff, but you really need a guy that can give you a lot of innings, uh, several guys, during the year. you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the you, you need innings out of your starter, at least your top two starters. You know, you need to – your manager needs uh, to be able to say, I can use my bullpen – today because Justin Verlander is going to go out there and give me seven innings tomorrow and I could really play today a lot differently. Um, if you have two of those guys back-to-back, that's even better. For years down here in Tampa, Joe Madden had David Price and James Shields in the rotation, and boy, did that help uh, smooth over everything over for the rest of the rotation. So anytime you can get two, you know, if you can get a horse or two at the top of your rotation, effective horses, not just, you know, uh, not a guy that can throw 180 innings with an ERA of five and a half. Uh, you know, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. But if you can get a 1.75 ERA like Verlander gave last year, you know, that that's something. But just remember, Verlander's never really been good in the postseason, whether he's 39 or whether he's 29. Right. He's, he's, not, he's not a very – let's, let's go to your bailiwick, uh, you know, the race. Uh, they've got a lot yeah. of – really major decisions to make, I guess, where there's been a lot written about what they have to do. Uh, they always wait till the last minute to get it done and uh, try to steal somebody at the end. 
Are they in a position to continue to do that? Well, I don't know what they need to do. You know, when you when you look at the roster, you know, uh, you know they they have a very solid core, a very good rotation, and a lot of arms in the bullpen. Uh, last year, you know, you know you, when you when you really look at last year and you say, okay, I think you know the the core of the middles and you know Adamez, Kiermaier, and Brandon Lau. I think they played eight games together. Uh, now, of course, Kiermaier gone, and Zanino right now is gone. But Willie, or not Willie Adamez, excuse me, Wander Franco. Jeez, I got a, I got a time warp on my mind. Um, so you, you know, Wander Franco was injured numerous times, broken ham, mid bone, and he also had an injury earlier in the year and is uh, right. that put him on the IL. Uh, Brandon Lau had a stress reaction in the back. He was never able to. You know, that's 39 homers you lost from the year before. You know, Wander Franco was supposed to provide you, you know, a steady offense at the top of the lineup. So, basically, you take Wander Franco and Brandon Lau out of there um, and you replace them with Taylor Walls, who, you know, had a, you know, 550 OPS, you know, and you replace, you know, second base at times with Yu Chang and sometimes Isaac Isak Paredes who did a nice job. But you would hope that uh, – uh, the Rays uh, will, will add some veterans. That's what I'm looking for them to do. Not, I don't, I don't need to have the, you know, the big splash, but I do need some veterans. Like, you know, a, a veteran bat on the bench, a veteran outfielder, you know, corner outfielder, whether it's a Benintendi or a Brandon Nimmo, that ilk, or whether it's Michael Conforto or whether it's a trade uh, for someone. Um, Basically, the Rays need to fill in with some veteran bats because last year they, you know, they, you know, I'm not giving up on Josh Lowe, but he didn't produce for them when called upon. Taylor Walls did not produce when called upon. Vidal Brujan um, didn't call upon in the rotation. Guys either through injury or poor performance, like Shane Boz and uh, Luis Patino didn't perform. So I would hope that the Rays would add a starting pitcher, add a little bit of grit to that, uh, uh, to that. Uh, uh, offensive side of the ball, you know, even a veteran like Evan Longoria bringing him back, uh, similar to what the, you know, uh, similar to the role that Albert Pujols uh, gave the uh, uh, the Cardinals, kind of a spark off the bench, and then maybe earn more playing time. I would like to see a Donovan Solano type utility guy that can play all over, that's a little bit more experienced, you know, that's been around the block a few times. So I would look for the Rays to be more in the veteran market for, you know later on in free agency than than anything else hey steve are you working on any books on baseball because i know you're just a great historian <laughs> no I, I'm, I'm actually not right now my i i write all day for my job and it, it kind of stresses me out a little bit so when i get done with work the last thing i want to do is hit the keyboard too hard um, when I retire, I probably <laughs> and when I retire, I probably will have the uh, uh, desire to write um, to write a book. I'm not sure what the content matter matter will be, but it'll be something that spans many a long period. It's like you say, it's always fun to look back at what used to happen and what's happening today. Sometimes it's a 180 degree difference, and sometimes it's identical, you know. And that's what makes everything so interesting. Steve Catello, thank you so very, very much. As always, I'll tell you, uh, always great to have you on because you got a lot of opinions about a lot of things that you uh, nobody keeps better statistics than you do, and uh, so it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. We always thank learn you. something from you, Steve. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Best wishes. That's, that's the reason we have them on. We want to learn something. 
He's our oh, man. Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move along right now and turn our attention to football. Uh because uh Mike Schulte is uh, is with us as always every two or three weeks. We talk to Mike, it's getting closer and closer to bowl time. And uh I know Mike is looking at all of these teams along with the rest of the people that are looking at bowl pictures, but his, uh, his saying is he comes on week after week. You never can tell what's going to happen this coming Saturday. And, boy, oh, boy, it keeps happening. Mike, what's going on? Well, th- that's true. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, that time of year, isn't it? So, um, But, yeah, it's it's really uh, been exciting the last few few weeks. I, I think the entire month of this, uh, of no- November, college football has had a lot of, a lot of surprises, a lot of great – finishes and games but also a lot of surprises and upsets and uh but you know what that's what makes the sport so so popular and um it's just part of it and we're just enjoying the ride also we're Mike, getting closer and closer to Friday. your bowl game and it's uh on the second this year rather than the first because of the calendar uh so uh, we talk once in a while about tickets but now we can talk about tickets that actually uh are on the market so give us a little rundown on that we'll give it a a little plug on the ticket side before we talk about football. Yeah, tickets are on sale uh, at Ticketmaster. So at Ticketmaster.com, the ReliQuest Bowl, um, we have club seats as well as uh, general um, seats available. And, uh, you know, there, there's some really good ones, uh, obviously, at this point. Uh, once we announce the, the teams, of course, this Sunday, then, you know, uh, a lot of tickets are going to go uh, pretty fast. Uh, when once the, the you know the fans of the teams uh, that we announce are are getting in there, so uh, if you if you think you want to go to a great uh, college football bowl game on January second in Tampa, Florida, then um, you know now's the time to get them so you can get uh, get better seats than uh, you know than if you wait because like I said the schools and their their fan bases are going to be gobbling up tickets uh, starting uh, Sunday night. And I'll tell you the. Uh the breadth of great teams this year, uh, you know, yet everybody can't go to that final four, but man, oh man, there are, there's depth right now. And you, you, there's no way to come up with a bad game. Well, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, every year is a little different, but, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of good inventory out there, um, for us and, and potentially to have, and we're, you know, we're very excited. I mean, we're anxious to to find out ourselves, you know, exactly what teams are going to be available to us. You know, a lot of things can happen. And every week, as you mentioned, our, our motto here is every week something happens you don't expect. So, you know, what we don't know is what is that going to be this weekend? Well, you know, what is going to happen that we don't expect, that, you know, this weekend? And, and is that going to affect the playoff? Is it going to affect, you know, domino effect um, other bowl games like ourselves? Uh, you just never know. So, uh, you know, we just got to wait and see until Sunday. But uh, it, it definitely is, is laying itself to uh, some really good potential matchups for our game as well as a lot of the other bowl games. And uh, we we can't wait to find out what happens this weekend and, and find out what, what teams we're going to be able to, to put together on January 2nd. Roger? Mike, I was, uh, was going to say uh, that one month from Friday is your bowl game. And uh, are you Thanks will you have? <laughs> well, my, are you going to have a, a big extravaganza on uh, Sunday night for the announcement, where you know you would fly in the uh, 
uh, the coaches for each of the teams. Uh, how, what what's your schedule like for that announcement and uh, uh, everything uh, well, concerning uh, yeah, surrounding it? Well, they doing it doing something like that around the announcements is is very difficult um, because we 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 a lot of times don't even know what teams we have until 30 minutes or an hour before we announce it. So, um, so what we'll do is we'll announce, um, our matchup, um, on our social media and our website. And of course out, you know, putting out a release to the media. So we'll do that, uh, sometime, uh, late afternoon on Sunday. Um, you know, somewhere probably between four and five o'clock, somewhere in that range. Um, and then what we do is we bring in the, the coaches and the ADs from the two participating teams next Thursday, so um, a week from tomorrow, um, December 8th. We'll bring them in. Uh, they'll fly in. They'll do like a media session for with the local media here in Tampa, and we'll have a big party at the uh, in the West Club Lounge of the stadium for probably about six or seven hundred of our of our supporters that will be there to sort of welcome the coaches and celebrate the fact that we now have our, our matchup and our teams and, uh, you know, the stretch run begins then, you know, towards bowl week and game day. So that's sort of how we'll celebrate that. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. And, and uh, we're very excited about doing that and getting the, the team advance parties will come in early next week. Uh, they'll each send the advance team down here to, meet with us and go over all the details of, of not only the game, of course, but bowl week. And, you know, they, they bring their, 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 their administrators down. They bring their key alumni down. They'll bring obviously their teams down for an entire week. They'll practice here throughout the week. They'll participate in all kinds of fun activities and games as they prepare for the game, you know, on, on January 2nd. Um, so all that's, there's a lot of logistics and details that go into that. So they'll send the, their advance parties down here early next week to meet with us and check out the practice sites, the hotels, uh, the the um, the venues for um, the events, the, the the stadium, get all their ducks in a row so that they can you know, plan for their operations while they're going to be here. And then, uh, like I said, we'll have a big celebration next Thursday, and, and then we're off and going. So it's, it's, it'll, be, it'll be a fun week. Yeah, Mike, do you lock up the hotels, uh, like have two hotels like the NFL does, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. they they know in advance what when where the Super Bowl is going to be? And uh, and I was wondering if you do the same thing. Yeah, we what we do is we have uh, two team hotels that we lock down um, with, you know, big room blocks, you know, for the, the official team parties. Um, we don't necessarily block out rooms uh, for fans at different hotels, but we have a lot of different hotel partners uh, who, who partner with us, and uh, and you know, and we help promote them to the fans, you know, as places to stay. Uh, they're approved places to stay here in, in the area, uh, both in Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, and surrounding areas. So we have them all listed on our website. Um, that people, fans can go to, to to find our hotel partners and all different types of, of properties and locations from the beaches to downtown Tampa. Uh, but the teams will will each uh, have have uh, hotels that they stay in 
um, because you know we need to have hotels that will participate with with holding enough rooms for the team parties uh, as well as enough meeting space for them to be able to properly meet and have meals and so forth when you know when they're here in town for the week so the SEC team will stay at the Grand Grand Hyatt Tampa Bay which is right on Tampa Bay near the airport a beautiful hotel mm-hmm. um, and then the 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 Big Ten or ACC team this year will stay at the Weston uh, uh, Waterside Hotel in downtown Tampa, right on the water, uh, on the, the waterfront there, uh, and very convenient to a lot of the downtown uh, activities and parks and, and restaurants and so forth. So um, they'll be they'll be taken care of. And then the two college bands will actually stay out on the beach, on the Clearwater Beach, and they'll stay out there and have a good time on the beach. So so uh, everybody will have a lot of fun. Mike, also your uh, opportunity at different clubs, aren't they broadened a little bit? You can go to the ACC too, right? Uh, you're not just limited to the two conferences. Yeah, well, this year we have a, you know, in, in our, well, it's it's our contract uh, that is eligible this year. Um, we do have a nuance in our agreements with, that, um, with the Big Ten, such as if a Big Ten team ends up in the um, Orange Bowl, then we would actually uh, not have a Big Ten team this year. We'd have an ACC team or Notre Dame in our game, um, right. and so we can we can choose from from that group of, of teams. So uh, we'll have an SEC team for sure, and we'll either have a Big Ten team or an ACC team or Notre Dame in our in our game to to square off against them. Everybody looks to Notre Dame first. If you can possibly get Notre Dame, you you jump over the moon to get it, right? Well, you know they're they're a unique team, obviously, and and one that uh, as an independent, one that, that a lot of bowls don't ever you know don't really ever have access to. I know we've never had them in our game, but but uh, you know there's some fine ACC teams uh, as well, and and they they when it comes to bowl games, they they are sort of included in the ACC uh, group of of teams that are they're eligible for the for those spots. So. Um, so that you know, they they might be a team that uh, would be available to us, but it just uh, really going to depend on what happens with the Orange Bowl and those selections, and uh, that's all really out of our control. So we just have to right. sort of wait and see, you know, which conference we're choosing from, and then we can make some, you know those decisions. But certainly, you know, having the ability, uh, if that does come to pass, uh, to to you know to select from uh, uh, from the, that other group of teams would. Would be you know is, is nice because you know we haven't had uh, many ACC teams in our game over the years. It's been a very long time, and so um, you know that would be a new experience for both them and the bowl game. So uh, if that happens, then and that'll be that'll be exciting. And there's a lot of good teams to choose from out of that league. Roger. Well, there the uh, Notre Dame's in the ACC, other than for football. I I. I I think I'm, I know I'm correct about that. I'm yeah, for other sports, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. everything they, they other sort than of, they, football. They schedule along with them and, and so forth, yeah. So football is more the independent part. But like I said, for bowl game purposes, they they sort of uh, are, are combined with the ACC uh, in regards to uh, being eligible for, for slots that the ACC would normally fill. Mike, I, I may have asked you this previously, but uh, my, I'm, I'll make it as a comment. I think that your bowl would be just perfect uh, when they expand the playoffs because they're obviously going to need more venues or hopefully they will expand the the number of, of venues. And 
they, that may have already been worked out uh, for the future. Uh, but is that possible that your bowl could wind up in the years to come as a uh, playoff? Well, I, I I don't think so because what, really what the what we've heard so far and we and we haven't gotten all the information, but what we've heard so far is that um, they they're they're wanting to play the first round games, um, so those extra games, if you will, on campus. Um, so they really oh. want to do that, and I think that's what they're going with. Um, so those first round games will be played on campus at the the location of the higher seeded team. Um, the second round, which would now be called the quarterfinals, would be played in four of the existing uh, bowl games that they use, you know, for the playoff rotation. And then mm-hmm. the semifinals would be played in the other two bowls of that of that group of six bowls that are currently in that. So I don't really think that there's going to be any room for them to expand out to additional bowl games. Um, you know, one of the long-term questions would be, I, there, I think a lot of people have been already talking about how, um, you know, how that, while that will take place initially, especially if they end up um, getting to a point of being able to start the playoff a little bit sooner than they had originally planned. Um, you know, there, there's actually a lot of people that have been voiced in opinion that, that all the games up up to until at least the semifinals should be um, played on campus because that that would be such a great and unique experience for the schools and and so forth. So I think if anything, uh, they may eventually be looking towards reducing the number of bowls that are involved in that expanded playoff as opposed to expanding the number uh, of bowls. So uh, we're we're quite fine with where we're at. I mean, we, we have uh, great matchups and the teams are still, there's still going to be some great, great teams out there each year. that are going to want to have a bowl experience. And frankly, you know, the, it, what's interesting is that the, those first round teams that lose that first game, um, they're not even going to get any bowl experience. Uh, they're only going to go play in a away game and not have any bowl experience. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas, whereas at least I, the teams I would that win that say, game, Mike, and I, I may be a hundred percent wrong about this, but my feeling is that you got to play at the home field of one of the teams because otherwise you're not going to sell the place out. I mean, you're not going to have a, a what they call a, a playoff series and only have fifty percent uh, spectators at the game. I mean, you got to have some incentive to get there for the early rounds, and the only way you're going to do that is by get them in a stadium. Where the student body and the and the uh, uh, ticket buyers are going to are going to you know take the whole ticket and sell the stadium out. Yeah, well, it, you're right from the standpoint that the the um, it's it you know having multi round and this is sort of one of the arguments against doing the playoffs back you know ten years twenty years ago when they were were you know trying to talk about whether they should do a playoff and from the standpoint of what you're talking about with, with the bullets is that, you know, your fans are not going to be able to travel, you know, to four different venues, you know, to follow their team. Right. So if you play a first round game in a, in a bowl game, let's just say San Diego. And then right. next week you, you win that game. Now you advance on, and now you play in the cotton bowl in Dallas. And the week after that, you advance from that, you know, the semifinals. And now you got to, now you're going to play a game in, in, um, uh, in Miami, in the orange bowl. 
and then you go and then you win that and then you go to the national championship game. Well, how many how many people fans of the, of that team would be able to to do that over the course of a month? Go to four different venues across crisscrossing around the country, you know, and so forth. So I could so agree right more. I think you're right. You're right from the standpoint that the, the vast majority, of, you know, nobody's going to be able to bring twenty thousand fans with them, you know, to all these games. So a lot of the and it happens in basketball in the basketball tournament. A lot of times, team uh, fans of teams, you know, that are real really good teams, who they think are are going to easily advance on to the other rounds. A lot of times they skip the early rounds, you know, if it's not close by because they, you know, they just want to wait to go to the final four or whatever. And, and so you're going to, you, you're going to have that certainly in in football because you're relying more on even more fans going to football games and bowl games. So, so you're right. I mean, that, and I think that's one of that's part of the thinking of them playing the first round games on campus is that, you know, it'd be so hard for fans to, to, you know, who have any, you know, expectation that their team might advance at least to the semifinals of being able to, to go to multi, basically multiple bowl games. And so, so they're, they're, they're going to have the first round games on campus. And, uh, and like I said, eventually they may end up having the second round games on campus for that very reason and, and just have it, you know, go to the point where then uh, the, the, um, the semifinals, you know, are played in bowls like they are now. So, It'll be interesting to see how that all develops, but you know they're 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 still trying to work through the process and figure out how they're going to do it. Roger, well, you know, I was just thinking about uh, as far as the dates go too. Uh, when you expand it, uh, as we were saying, your bowl's going to be uh, four weeks from, uh, or I'm sorry, a month from Friday, and. Uh, do you see that bowls would be even later, uh, continue to, to be later, and maybe even uh, get into uh, like the week before the Super Bowl and uh, that that open week between uh, the uh, conference championships and the Super Bowl? Yeah, that, that's what they're – well, you know, the, this move of, of having – one of the biggest issues they've had in, in, in trying to start um, the, the expanded playoff uh, in two years, instead of waiting, to, in, you know, for four years, uh, till the end of the current agreements, um, one of the biggest headaches they've had, evidently, is is the schedule issue and and how mm-hmm. it bangs up against the NFL, uh, right. because there, you know there, there's an old rule, you know, from the uh, FCC or whatever that that was passed in Congress back in the '60s or early '70s, you know, where there's certain time frames during the year where NFL cannot play on on Saturdays, and 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 the college football can't play on Sundays, and that mm-hmm. was done to protect each of the sports sort of uh, territory, right, time frame. So, uh, but with that said, um, what's happening now, of course, is is you know by expanding the playoff, one of the issues has been scheduling because you know the NFL starts once you get to mid December, they start scheduling games on Saturdays and Sundays. That's and right. so, and, and the, so for the playoff, you know, to those first two rounds of the playoffs, as it would have to take place right now, um, would would potentially, if they wanted to play on the weekend, they would have to go up against the NFL, which you know they usually don't want to do. And so those some of those games would have to be played on in, during the middle of the week, and so that's sort of become one of the issues. But what I have also heard is that going long longer term and maybe starting in, in four years or whatever, when they can, 
there's also talk of them starting the college football season a week earlier, uh, what what is now considered week zero, which I'm not sure who came up with that, but um, you know <laughs> where they have those early early games, you know where there's only a handful of games, and then you get to Labor Day weekend, and you get the full full slate of games. They're talking about you know starting the full season a week earlier to move everything up so that those earlier playoff games would not number one go up against the NFL um, but then also it wouldn't go too far past what you're saying you know the New Year's Day time frame and getting into the middle of January uh, but because again that's you know you're up against the NFL but also you know it gets just gets later you know past the holidays and everything so it's going to be not only that, Mike, but you're not only against the NFL, you're it. against the best best games of the year. You're going up against you're not right. going up against the team Playoff that's playing games, in right. October or November. You're going up against the team that's playing in December for a spot in the uh, right. in the Super Bowl. So that you yeah. know your, your yeah. competitive edge there is certainly well, going to go to the NFL. Well, and and the fact that the NFL has has expanded their season already, right? You know, to go right. yeah. later. So. You know their their regular season used to end around the weekend that we play, you know New, New Year's weekend or some you know whatever that falls, and now they go a, another week longer than that. So they're they're you know the regular season goes a, a whole entire week into the for January. So again, you know you'd be going up against the you know a full slate of of of, of uh, NFL games um, as opposed to just, you know, a, a handful of playoff games and which makes again, the scheduling even tougher. So as I mentioned, you know, from what I've seen and heard, they, you know, one of the biggest issues of expanding the playoff is, is the scheduling and having to work around the NFL. So that's why they're considering uh, potentially starting the college season a week earlier, uh, you know, but of course that won't take place for another couple of years at least, but, but that's one of their solutions to try and uh, alleviate some of the headaches of the scheduling is to start the college season a little bit earlier so they don't overlap quite as much with the NFL. So it's, they got, they got a lot on their plate and a lot of things they're trying to work through on this thing. It's not, a, not an easy quick fix. So we'll see what they come up with. Mike, well, you know, again, Mike, thank you very, very much. It's a, it's always a pleasure to have you join us and always the best of luck with the bowl. We all look forward to it. We'll be there on the second when the, when you kick it off, and uh, uh, as you said, you can go uh, get some tickets through Ticketron right now. When does the general sale of tickets go on when, when you announce the teams next this coming Sunday? No, tickets are on sale now, so you can get those immediately. Uh, the tickets are on sale, and but we will be announcing our teams uh, on Sunday, um, probably between 4 and 5 o'clock or maybe 5.30 at the latest. So okay. uh, we're looking forward to that. and. Uh, but you can buy the tickets right now, uh, and it's a great way to to uh, take care of a Christmas present for your favorite college football fan because they're going to have a great time no matter who's in the game. And, I'll, and I'm telling you right now, we're going to have a good matchup. Mike, thanks once again. We'll get to you again uh, next week and the week after. So if you get closer thanks, to the bowl, buddy. always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Thank you, Mike. Guys. Appreciate I'll, it. I'll tell you. The NFL's moving their season up. I think it'll probably be starting Labor Day. And high schools now, even up north, have gone into uh, August for their first game long before school starts. So football's yeah. a changing endeavor as far as scheduling goes, Mike. 
Well, as far as I'm concerned, they can have they can play all year round. Cause I just, I love to watch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks. Have a great week. Thank Take you very care, much. Mike, Mike Zimzak is on the line right now. His specialty, obviously, is soccer, and we'll get to that uh, in the second phase. I first want to talk about the Washington football team that all of a sudden has become a team and a factor in the National Football League. they got a big game coming up uh, this weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles. So, uh, Mike, talk about that first before we get to soccer. Well, I know the, the uh, commanders aren't playing the Eagles this weekend because they already played them twice. Oh, uh, so I thought they were playing the Eagles this week. No, um, I, I, the Eagles have the Titans this week. but Yeah, the, we have yeah, the Titans right. too in Philadelphia. Yeah. The uh, commanders are on. Uh, they're 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 on a run. They they've won uh, six or seven and are now seven and five. Definitely in the uh, playoff hunt. Uh, this has been the first time that they've come into the month of December with seven wins and a winning record since I pretty much since Methuselah was a young kid. Um, <laughs> so. That was a long they time are, ago. Yeah, I know. Um, the commanders, the, uh, it's been the defense, I think, that has really uh, stepped up and made this possible. And, oh, by the way, uh, Chase Young still hasn't come back. Uh, that front line of Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and Deron Payne is getting a, just a ton of pressure. Uh, the back field, uh, the, the defensive backs, uh, William St. Just, um, and uh, the guys back there have been able to come up with some timely interceptions, and they are putting the commanders in a position where uh, Taylor Heineke doesn't have to do a lot to win games. Also, that line that was such an issue with pass blocking in the beginning of the season has found that run blocking a lot better. Uh, they're getting some great contributions out of uh, Brian Robinson, the rookie running back who unfortunately started the season on injured reserve because he was shot. And uh, he's been able to – he had his first 100-yard game. You're seeing him get 24, uh, you know, 24 to 30 carries a game. So they're able to run the ball, and that just takes a lot of pressure off of them. So it's a really – it's a hot team right now. Mike, uh, I want to say a couple of things that uh, I've, I've heard and, and read. Uh, uh, number one, Ron Rivera has just done a magnificent job, and uh, uh, he has put his uh, stamp uh, on uh, his end of the operation, his, his portion of the operation, that he would not allow any of this nonsense that has gone on, and a lot of the pre- predates him there's no doubt about that but he is not that type of guy uh he is a first class individual a, a great coach and uh, yeah talk about that that uh, he definitely uh disassociates himself from any of this operation in the the washington uh football team with all the nonsense and the problems yeah when it comes to the football the on-field side of it, there really aren't any problems. Uh, Ron runs that with an iron fist. And, look, the team has rallied around Ron. Let's make no mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence 
that this run started around the time that Ron Rivera lost his mother and had to fly out to the funeral and came back, and the team has just rallied around him to win, and he has, in turn, you know, protected them. You're right. None of this nonsense from the operational side to the business side kind of bleeds into the locker room. I thought with all of the off-field nonsense, uh, I thought some of that might creep in, but you've seen him be able to uh, keep away from that, even when the media asked some questions about poorly timed tweets and sales and things like that. You know, he keeps it focused on football, and he keeps that team focused on the game that's immediately in front of him. And that sort of short-sighted nature by him is what has made them successful and got them on this run. You know, we all said that Ron in his third year is tends to be when he gets his best results. Uh, it didn't look so great through the first five games, but when you look at what they're doing right now, you know, this is going to be a tough team to play. I don't think they're the finished product, but it's a team that's going to have a, a say in the playoff race in the NFC. I don't get any question about that. Well, I'll let you and Frank and uh, Roger take it from here because uh, you guys are soccer guys, and you know my opinion on the soccer. So, uh, Roger, <laughs> it's all yours for the rest of this uh, segment. Okay. Well, Mike, we have to talk about the USA uh, coming back one nothing against Iran yesterday. Uh, I mean, you're in uh, education I'm a uh, substitute teacher. We're working like almost every day, and this this week I have the same class, uh, which is great. In a uh, middle seventh grade middle school, uh, they every class yesterday wanted to turn the big screen on for uh, the uh, for the uh, you know the the uh, got the, the the big game. Okay, the uh, USA and Iran. And we put the kibosh on it. I know uh, one of the teachers uh, did allow it if the students were uh, were good. Uh, how about you? As an educator, did you have that on the big screen in your classes? Well, I did, but I also didn't have a class during that time, so it was perfectly fine. But I also have <laughs> – You had plans. I, I, can send you, I can send you a picture. Uh, I have – I collect soccer jerseys, and I've been doing it since 2006. And at this point, I have jerseys from 22 of the uh, 20 of the 32 teams in the World Cup. So I took wow. a bunch of them in and hung them up around my classroom, so the kids were really getting into it. They were excited. The parents were excited. Everybody was excited. I mean, it's you know, very few events in sports bring out this sort of nationalism. And there was a lot of, there were the kids, the adults, the teachers, everybody wanted to know what was going on. Everybody wanted to uh, to, to, to uh, watch the game. And I'm not going to lie, uh, I ended up watching the entire game on the big screen in my classroom because uh, last Monday when the U.S. was playing Wales, I made the mistake of leaving early to go and try and catch the game. And on my way downtown, uh, that's when they, they gave up the penalty. So I said, this time around, I was going to wait and see the end because I didn't want to tempt fate. But, yeah, it was a great performance by the U.S. Uh, it's been a great group stage by the U.S. 
uh, coming out with five points, finishing second in the group, advancing. They are the youngest starting 11 in the tournament, which means that the bulk of this team will be available in four years when it's here, plus you're going to get new additions. So, you know, I think they did, a, the team did a really good job. This was what their, this was what the baseline was. Could they get out of the World Cup? And they did. Now they have their problems, but they at least got over this hurdle. They've made it to the knockout rounds, and now they're playing with house money. Yeah, and Mexico uh, got knocked out today for the first time in years uh, by Argentina, and that was like a uh, exciting game to the end. Yeah, I mean, it was just if they had scored another goal, they'd have gone through. Uh, but, look, overall, the scoring has been down. Um, Mexico, like the U.S., was only able to muster two goals throughout the group stage. And normally that's not enough to get you through. Uh, I'm still a little bit surprised that the U.S. was able to get through uh, the group stage the way they did. Uh, that's credit to the midfield three of Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKinney. The pressure that they put on has just really helped to neutralize teams. Uh, Don, Don Roger and Frank, think about it this way. England has scored the second most goals right now of any team. They scored nine goals in the group stage, scored multiple goals in two of the three games. They were held scoreless by the U.S. Amazing. And to be honest, they didn't really create a lot of chances. So, I mean, it's that defense in the midfield, I think, that is really going to be the key, especially when we go up against a team like the Netherlands on Saturday. Uh, they've got some really strong attackers. Uh, Cody Gakpo is a name that not a lot of people knew about coming in, but watch him on Saturday. He's going to carry the main threat for the Dutch. Uh, Virgil van Dijk in defense is probably one of the best players, full stop, in all of soccer. I mean, this guy is absolutely immense back there in defense for the for the Dutch. He's battle-tested. He's got all the trophies to prove it. He hasn't been exactly in the best form of his career for club and country. I think that's where the U.S. has a chance, right? Uh, they like the press. They like to turn teams over. The Netherlands are going to play into them. They're not going to do what the Welsh and the Iranians did and sit back and concede possession. They're going to attack. If the U.S. can keep the press up, uh, the pressure on that they have through the first three games, they'll create turnovers. And it's just a matter of can they do something that they haven't done uh, with any sort of consistency throughout the World Cup? Can they score uh, more than one goal? Well, the, 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 it is. Do you predict that they will be able to score uh, more than one goal against the Netherlands? Unfortunately, when you put it down to I think this is where the dream ends for this team. I think mm-hmm. uh, the Dutch are going to limit them. Uh, the U.S. aren't going to be able to create the sorts of chance. They aren't going to be – don't have – somebody in the center of the park that's a, 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 at the striker position that's able to capitalize on some of these chances that they create. Uh, they just lack some creativity mm-hmm. at points in the final uh, third. They misplaced passes, uh, ill-timed crosses, things that are overhit, things that are underhit. 
Uh, they haven't been able to generate any opportunities off of set pieces, uh, corners, and uh, free kicks, which I think will be key. I just don't know that the U.S. right now, as they're set up uh, with Greg Beerholzer's tactics, I just don't see where they're going to be able to score. This is a team that hasn't scored more than one goal, I think, the whole entire calendar year. So or at, outside of U.S., they haven't scored more than one goal the entire calendar year. So uh, I just think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think that the goals are going to come a little bit later. Uh, and I see this being 2-1 to the Dutch. 2-1. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, and it, it, so it will really be an upset if, uh, number one, if they score more than one goal. But if they beat the Netherlands and the chances of this of having any more than a, maybe of a total of, uh, what, three goals, four goals max is for both sides. I mean, a combined score. Uh, what, do you have any idea what the, uh, the odds are on that game coming up? Oh, the, the, the Dutch are definitely favored. Uh, and I think the over-under is probably three goals. Look, the fact of the matter is if the U.S. is able to score two goals and if they're able to score two goals first, I really think that they have a legit shot at going through. Now, that may not seem like the most uh, outlandish statement, but uh, if they get control of the ball and they're able to score, um, then, yeah. Look, both of their goals have come in between the 30th and the 40th minute, the 35th and the 40th minute. They scored in the 36th minute against Wales. They scored, and Christian Pulisic had one in the 38th minute against Iran. Uh, they've had some other chances ruled out right before halftime, but they really haven't created anything in that map. And they tire, tend to tire from all the pressing around the 70th minute. If they can have a cushion going into that seventh minute of two goals, I think that it'll put so much pressure on Iran or on the Dutch that they may actually get a, uh, another one. But I really just don't see where they're going to be able to do it because they don't have – I don't know who's going to score for them. Well, I don't think uh, anybody does. You're uh, right. But – now, let me ask you another question. As the uh, cup proceeds, uh, who do you – who is your – what is your prediction who's going to win this whole thing? Um, I still – And, and like, you have different divisions, right? So, I mean – Yeah, you're, you're going to see how things break down. Unfortunately for the U.S., as things stand right now – if they were going to win, in order to do so, they would have to go through the Dutch in the round of 16, the Argentinians in the round of uh, of uh, in the, the uh, quarterfinals, the Brazilians in the semis, and the French in the finals. Uh, that murderer's row, if I've ever heard it, which brings me to this. I think that you're looking at a tournament that's going to come down to the Brazilians and the French. Neither one of them are perfect. Yeah, who, who right? do you predict in that game? Because I know the Brazilians are really strong, as are the French. But, like, I would I'd take like the, the, the Brazilians in that game. What about you? 
I would take the Brazilians too, and I think the reason why we saw it today, the French lost a game uh, against Tunisia that they probably could have won, but they decided to rest nine of the 11 players that started the last game. And I was surprised at the, just the lack of a performance by their bench. Uh, I think the Brazilian team is deeper in terms of talent, right? They were able to get through the last game that they played uh, without Neymar, their all-world attacker, who does, who, and basically the entire key of their attack goes through Neymar. But you saw it was uh, Casemiro who came up with the uh, shot against Denmark, that, or, um, the shot against, um, it wasn't Denmark, uh, the shot that won them that game. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, they've got, uh, they, they've got, I just feel like they have more game changers who they can bring on with six substitutes. You can All right, really let's hold it right there, fellas. And uh, Mike, once again, thank you very much. And uh, super analysis on the soccer, no question about that. We'll talk next week as we continue. Uh, Doug Hamilton is standing in the wings. You're ready the best, to go, Mike. So thank you very much, week. Mike. Thank you. Have week. a good one. Doug, it uh, looked like it was going to be a gigantic weekend for the Harbaugh brothers. And uh, <laughs> the last couple of seconds sort of killed their weekend. Yeah, it uh, started off pretty good Saturday. Uh, I was enjoying watching Michigan beat Ohio State. I, I really don't care much for Ohio State. So, um, you know, everything in our household was, was good uh, after Georgia beat Georgia Tech. And then, you know, the, the commanders pulled out a win. Uh, we had – you know, two legs of what we needed to to be happy here in the house, and unfortunately, the uh, Ravens couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. And you know, um, <clears throat> it's the fourth time they've kind of coughed up a double-digit lead this year. So um, frustrating to watch. I know. Um, you know, we talk about games that are matters of seconds, inches, feet. You know, whatever. I mean, Justin Tucker really kicked the heck out of that ball at the end, but he was about five yards short, and it makes you think just, you know, if we had a few more seconds or got a few more yards on that. I, I don't, you know, so watching that replay on the actual touchdown, I don't know that I understand that rule. It looked like he had one foot in, and then they called the foot that hit his shin, they said hit or something, and then they, they said it was a touchdown. But I I don't know. I just, I didn't, I still don't think it was a touchdown. So um, just my opinion, of course, and then obviously – you know, for them to go for two, and they picked on the same guy the whole time. It was number 21, Brandon Stevens, um, you know, second-year player, just struggling in coverage there, and, um, you know, disappointing loss. Um, you know, Jacksonville's kind of team, if you're Baltimore, you should, even on the road, go down and, and handle your business and, you know, not have too much of a difficulty with that, and, you know, it puts them into a, a tie with Cincinnati for the lead uh, in the division, and although we did beat them, so we have the tiebreaker, but um, you certainly don't want to see it come that close. And, you know, judging by their, you know, looking at their schedule, they just, they, they come home, you know, this week and play against Denver. And that's another game that you'd like to think you could win, um, you know, but <laughs> stranger things have happened. So, I mean, it's been a wacky season. There's a lot of divisions that are, you know, pretty weak and, you know, the Steelers 
beat the Colts. Doug Hamilton, our special guest this segment. Doug, of course, the PGA professional down there between Baltimore and Washington. Uh, We don't talk too much about golf, although we normally do during the summer and the golf season. Uh, One said, though, to to a degree, uh, fasciitis has gotten a tiger, Mm -hmm. and he's uh, Mm -hmm. had to pull out of the tournament. He's going to be the host, I guess, but he can't play, uh, which is one sad golf note. But he also uh, continued with his press conference saying he's going to play with his son, Charlie. So he is Mm -hmm. going to play down the road, but not uh, this weekend. Yeah, plantar fasciitis hurts like heck. I mean, I've had that before, and it's uh, very debilitating, um, you know, especially if your requirement is to walk four rounds of golf uh, on that. It is extremely painful. Um, and especially it takes the time to heal. It's not something that heals overnight. You know, it's one of those I, I classify into the same bucket as like a tennis elbow or a golfer's elbow, as they say, uh, you know, those sorts of things that just they come out of nowhere, really, and then all of a sudden it hurts like heck, and there's no real remedy, if you will, for it. I mean, um, when I went through it, I did a multitude of stretching with, um, you know, a towel to pull your toe to stretch your calves and up against the wall and all those sorts of things. But it's it hurts like heck. And I know, you know, on the other side of that, I had um, it was actually a planter's wart on the bottom of my foot. Boy, did that hurt. That was right in the ball of the foot, right in the middle. And gosh darn, that hurt. And, you know, those were a little more easily remedied with uh, some some treatments that I went through. Um, but, you know, you take that kind of stuff for granted that, you know, you can walk pain-free or you can, you know, do different things. Like, you know, when you have tennis elbow, you, you hold your arm out to the side and you put any weight in your hand and it just hurts like heck. I mean, you can't really do much. And in many cases, you know, golfers get that from hitting a lot of golf balls and the, the impact and the reverb from, from striking the ball on the ground. And, you know, just cumulative over time. It just hurts. Well, I was looking at uh, Bryce Harper, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. uh, what early in the season, he couldn't play mm-hmm. right field. He could hit, but he couldn't yeah. throw. And he just had surgery on his arm, mm-hmm. and they're hoping that uh, uh, he'll be back by, I guess, Memorial Day. So, you know, the arms and, and uh, the elbow, anything, anything in the arms yeah. and the legs takes a beating whenever you're in athletics. Well, the the Tommy John surgery that he had has, has become, you know, um, more of a norm now in our day and age. I mean, it's typically performed, and in many cases the guy comes back and um, has no, you know, ill effects from, from before. And, and Absolutely. you see it. Well, typically you see it in pitchers, and you know, in many cases they come back and their velocity uh, increases, um, mm-hmm. which is a weird phenomenon for me because, you know, if you're right-handed and they take the, you know, the the ligament out of there that's damaged, and they put, well, I guess they put your the one from your left arm in there, or I don't know, whatever they do, it just seems weird that, you know, that it's like you you go shopping for cadavers of guys that have good ligaments. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how that works. I mean. <laughs> So, but yeah, so I think, I think Bryce Harper may be out until a little later than that. Um, I think they were talking almost all-star game in terms of what I saw. Um, he may you know, be but, able to hit though uh, and be yeah. in the DH before that. Sure. Well, that's, you know, essentially that was his season last year. Um, and so, you know, that universal. Does the fact that you just build up a golfer that quickly because, he went right up until the you know, last few days before he finally said that because of mm-hmm. it, he would be unable to play. 
Uh, yeah. I, I've, fortunately, I've never been, uh, I've never had that, and uh, so I don't really have any comparison of my own. Uh, mm-hmm. What's what's the what's the what's the story as terms of is it just build up slowly? If you keep playing, it gets worse. Well, when I had it, I had played um, two two rounds of golf in three days, and I walked a golf course that was a, a tough walk, a little demanding, and you know I, I noticed it shortly after that, and then it just kind of lingers, and there's nothing you can really do to so you know, it kind of just crops up on you. And then next thing you know, you're having trouble walking and, and it's just, it's hard. Um, yeah. It's painful. Would so. you be able to have done the second day, Doug, if, you, if, uh, and, and had not had the pain, if you were able to drive or go in a golf cart? Uh, probably. Yeah, probably. Okay. Um, it's just, I, I had played a practice round uh, on a Saturday morning, and then I played in a tournament uh, on Monday, and it was at Cave Valley. And the golf course itself is—it's a hard walk, but you feel like you feel like your feet are never really on flat ground. Like you're you're constantly, you know, uh, on the inside and outside, and toe and heel, and all these different places of your foot, based on the fact that the lies are so uneven when you're walking. And it's uphill and it's downhill and it's all these different things. And all of a sudden it just hits you and you're like, gosh, darn, that hurts. And, you know, with a golf cart, I think you could probably endure it. Um, but, but walking, uh, not, not, not so much. Well, as I say, interesting that, uh, you know, it got to that point where you had to pull out at the very end and uh, mm-hmm. everybody gets disappointed when Tiger, but he also, uh, uh, Doug uh, sort of talked about his schedule for the year and, uh, trying to play in the majors and how many tournaments he was going to try to play. And uh, mm-hmm. it looks like he's really isolated him down to a minimum. Yeah. It looked like he was playing and uh, going to try to play in all four majors and then a handful of other ones. Um, when I say handful, I mean less than five, I think, you know, um, yeah, he's unfortunately at that stage of his career where it's, it's very demanding to put the time in, um, you know, and his body is just, you know, he'll be, what, 47 uh, in December. So, I mean, it's it takes its toll. I mean, like I said, I think people view uh, golfers and, and they think that it's, you know, an easy sport to play because it's not a collision sport. Um, you're not running. You're not cutting. You're not jumping. You're not doing a lot of things. But, you know, the, <clears throat> the time that those guys put in, you know, striking golf balls and, and trying to condition themselves and, um, I mean, an 18-hole golf course typically is, you know, anywhere from four to six or seven miles probably walking, although you're not carrying your golf bag in many cases. I mean, that's four days of that in addition to the countless amount of golf balls that they hit and the twisting and turning and, you know, different things. I tell you, I would challenge anybody who plays golf on a very casual basis to go to a driving range and hit 150 golf balls and tell me how you feel the next day, you know, so – um, you know, it takes its toll. Roger? Well, I've, I've only re- walked the golf course in my life uh, probably, I don't know, a half a dozen times. And I know one of them uh, was in 1974 uh, during the uh, practice rounds at Augusta National. Mm-hmm. And I was there with a, a fellow that I work with. And, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's a long, long walk. You're exactly yeah. right. And, and, and I was young. I mean, you know, I mean, this right. is a long time ago. And, uh, sure. 
uh, almost 50 years ago. And, and Augusta's uh, not a flat course. No, no, not at all. And and the other one was uh, uh, only about, uh, what, uh, about uh, 12 years ago, I guess, or less, uh, when uh, uh, Mike Smith, when he was coaching the Falcons, had a media uh, golf tournament, and I embarrassed myself and uh, got on the wrong side of a couple of players, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my foursome. Uh, but that was it. And then uh, the other one that I can remember, uh, Don, uh, you and I are familiar with, and that was at the LPGA at uh, Seaview. Uh, oh, you were yeah. walking mm-hmm. that, that one, and uh, and that's more of a, I would say, a flatter course. Well, there's two of them there, but uh, I, I, uh, that's it. I mean, I know there's been other ones when I was younger because, you know, mm-hmm. you're out there, you know, having a good time with your friends and everything. But they were uh, the ones that I really remember. And, and, you know, going back, what, almost 50 years, uh, when, you know, you're 50 years younger and and you're in good shape and you can do things. So, like Mm -hmm. you said, I mean, he's, what, going to be 47 or is 47? And he's on the uh, near side of 50. So, (laughs) Doug, the one thing they said about uh, what he was playing over the British Open, uh, or just the Open, they call it now, no longer the British Open. And they talked, <coughs> excuse me, they talked about the advantage he had because of the flatness of the of the uh, Open course. And mm-hmm. uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, physically, he just couldn't handle it. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to mention, I mean, the the wear and tear that you place on your body. Um, you know, you, you've got transfers of weight into your left side, into your knee. Um, you've got your hips. You've got your ankles. You've got all these different things that, you know, are pushing and pulling and, and providing resistance. And, you know, not to mention your your core. And, and a lot of guys have issues with their low back and, and um, maybe their neck and different things that, um, you know, that become a problem over time, you know. Um, you know, a lot of those guys on tour, I mean, it's, it's a dedicated – you know, profession where you have to spend an awful lot of time, you know, doing what you do, um, you know, and I, you know, don't, don't make the mistakes of thinking like, okay, well, you're going to play a, a, what, 16 or 17 game season in the NFL and those guys like, you know, what Tom Brady's doing at his age, um, you know, getting hit and moving in the pocket and doing the things he's doing. I mean, all the throws he makes, I mean, that's next level phenomenon in terms of, the care that he must, I mean, he has a whole team that takes care of him and his body and his diet and all those different things. But, you know, it's obviously football is a collision sport and, and those guys, you know, gosh, it's, you've seen so many injuries year after year after year. And um, just the, the toll of that on your body, my God, I mean, you know, I'm 48. There's no chance. Well, Tom Brady's 45. I don't, I don't know how he does it, man. I don't know how he does it. Roger. Well, maybe he doesn't know uh, how he does it anymore, too, Doug. You know, yeah, after uh, we talked about this with uh, Roy Cummings early on, I mean, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and yet uh, Ira Kaufman said today that if if it, uh, it's not a normal uh, uh, Tom Brady season, however, mm-hmm. uh, it is a um, a uh, an average season if it was anybody yeah. other than Tom Brady. You know, sure. and. Uh, but what do you get? Getting back, Don had opened up with a good uh, comment about the uh, Harbaugh uh, brothers. Mm-hmm. 
What what's going on? I mean, first of all, I'm a Doug Peterson fan, but I always also like John Harbaugh. Okay, and of course, mm-hmm. as an Eagles fan, uh, Doug Peterson is the only coach that ever brought them a, a Super Bowl. But mm-hmm. I I think that uh, the Jaguars are a, a team to be reckoned with in the future. I think that mm-hmm. he's really turned their attitude around. Did you watch that game in its entirety? Did you have a chance did. to? Did you? Yeah, what no, do you I think? Watched, I watched the whole game. What do you think of the Jags? Well, I mean, I think the Jags have been a lackluster team for a number of years, and I think that they've um, you know, had an awful lot of money to spend in free agency and, and some higher draft picks. And I think you're – you're seeing Trevor Lawrence develop um, in front of your eyes in terms of. I think he's going to be a real quarterback too. I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked yeah. about he's, that the first half hour of the show, and yeah. to me, you he's, can't win uh, without a quarterback. He's going to be a legit quarterback. Sure. Yeah, he's got a, a very good skill set in terms of throwing the football and the ability to move in the pocket. And I think that um, Travis Etienne, their running back, is is a good running back. I think that uh, you know they they've. They're, I mean, look, when, when you're a bottom feeder for long enough and you have money to spend and draft picks, you know, and, and you make good draft picks, I mean, sooner or later you're, you know, you're going to start cropping up to the middle and, and, and doing some different things to, to get yourself. And I think that Peterson's uh, knowledge as a head football coach is, is uh, kind of rubbing off and, and, you know, they're, they're going to start winning some football games. I mean, you, you, you know, you see some parity in the NFL with, um, you know, Tampa Bay being a more average-looking football team, Green Bay being a more average football team. Um, L.A. Rams. The oh, Rams, boy. the Steelers. He should have taken that job in the TV booth. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> if he, the Raiders. If he knew this season was going to blow up like this, I think he would have gone to CBS. Yeah. Sure. The, the, the Raiders, you know, made the playoffs. I mean, they're they're not a very good football team. The Broncos aren't very good. The Chargers are struggling. I mean, you know, you're seeing teams like the Jets and the Giants uh play well this year, which I don't think anybody expected. The Falcons have been okay. Um, you know, Washington and that whole division has been good. Uh, so, you know, from year to year, it just, you just don't know. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, who, who would have thought that what the, the, the commanders have won with five straight with, you know, Taylor Heineke now as their quarterback. And, um, you know, there was, Doug, that saw, whole I division saw, could be in the playoffs. They, as of today, they would be. Um, they would be, yeah. Uh, That's for amazing. sure. And I think, well, I mean, I think there was some speculation that Stanford had um, reached out to Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator from from the Ravens, uh, to talk to him about being their head football coach. Um, I think he he served under uh, Jim Harbaugh when he was the head coach there, and I think it's you know a logical connection. But you know, I don't I don't know if that's I mean, that is what it is, but I also don't think that at this point, you know, last year the Ravens said goodbye to, to Wink Martindale, um, which I kind of knew that one of the coordinators was going to go, and I think that and he's with there the was Giants, a lot of right? – Yeah, there's a lot of scrutiny, I think, in the Baltimore area about Greg Roman and his play calls and, and some of those sorts of things with his offense. So I don't necessarily know that it's an, a god-awful thing if he if he leaves. Um, the, Giants, the Giants became a winner and, and and the Ravens became a loser in that regard. I think – the Giants got the best of the deal. Um, you know, the Giants got a very good football coach in Martindale. I'm not going to, you know, pass that over. But at the same time, you know, uh, I, I'm actually a fan of the new guy uh, that they that that came from Michigan that that uh, that they brought back to the staff. Um, 
you know, I think the Ravens' um, pass rush is significantly better this year than in any year that Wink Martindale was was a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, and I think that he's going to continue to acquire toys to to make that defense better. Um, you know, I, I love the, the two coaches pro- that made the decision to go for the two point conversion and win a game. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, they both both turned out to be successful. Both were. Uh, sure. You know, real underdogs going into a two-point conversion at that point at the end of the game. Yeah. Well, you know, I tell you what. I mean, good, good for Peterson for doing that. That that kind of pissed me off. I think him going for two and them getting it because I needed four more yards from Trevor Lawrence passing, and I don't want a, a bet that I had placed, which kind of pissed me off. I was hoping <laughs> they were going to go to overtime. Um, but you know, that kind of crap happens. You know, all the time. Well, so. Doug Peterson was known to do that when he was with the Eagles. Too. So I mean, yeah, right. he'll t- he'll take a chance. But I'll say this, Doug and Don and Frank. A lot of teams in the NFL wish they had taken Jalen Hurts in the first round, and the Eagles didn't get him. And the sure. reason the Eagles took him was they were afraid not that he would take over for Wentz, but he would have to because Wentz would get hurt. And look mm-hmm. at the way things have changed. And Wes yeah. probably his his numbers are up uh, after this season, I believe, and uh, he, he he may not even play another game in the NFL. He may go oh, back. We only have one more. We only have about a minute and a half before tick tick tick. And uh, uh, we talked about at great length in the first half hour, uh, the quarterback situation in the National Football League. And certainly, when you talk about a division where the Bucks right now are under 500 in first place, it seems unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to mention, uh, you know, you're looking at a situation in Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers is a little banged up. And, right. you know, uh, with Jordan Love came he He's going to play this week, though. I couldn't believe he's that. He's going to play. Yeah. That's what the coach said. That's what he said. Yeah, that's, that's what, what he, he said. says. I, I, we'll wait and see. <clears throat> he didn't look too well, good walking off the field the other day. No. No. When you get sustained injuries to your ribs, I mean, that's – ask Drew Brees. I mean, that, that'll that do it. That, that's You can't even sneeze right. without right. wincing in pain. So, um yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, looking forward to another good week. How do you like the Ravens going down the home stretches? We want things up. Yeah, I think they're going to win their share of the games. I think they'll win the division and, and uh, everything will be fine. And, you know, we'll take our lumps and, and try to figure some things out and patch things up uh, in terms of that defense and hopefully roll into the playoffs hot. Well, this is one of the worst seasons the Steelers have had in many, many a year. And, yeah. uh, you know, only time will tell if they've got the right quarterback uh, pickings uh, for the mm-hmm. future, right? Sure. Yeah. Could be Tomlin's first ever losing season. Yeah. You it's know, amazing. Breaks breaks my heart. Well, I'll tell you, it's great, it's great from our standpoint, to be honest with you, Doug, that uh, NFC East has finally come back to really be coming. It's great to watch uh, not only the NFC East, but to see the Jets be competitive, to see the Giants be mm-hmm. competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, New York went a long time with no competition in football. So, a lot of a lot of good things are happening over there, and a lot of good coaching. Yeah, nice to see Buffalo play well too. I mean, that's a tremendous football oh, football yeah. city. So. Yeah, I'll tell you, that's a heck of a quarterback, Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. I, he is. Sure. What is. What What's your opinion of Jalen Hurts now that you've seen him uh, a few times? Take uh, care, fellas. We'll do it next week again. Okay. Right have on. a great week. Uh, Take care. You got it. Thank you, guys. God bless. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Frank, as always. You're the commander.
Take care. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. Appreciation. To the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please take the time to let them know you know they're there. We're not all bad guys. There's a lot of good guys working. Uh, for those who, who uh, as we asked in the beginning of the program, if you just keep a good thought for uh, Chris Taylor, uh, the deputy who was killed this week, we appreciate it. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colpep, uh, Detective David, uh, excuse me, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Gaswitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Detective Ricky Bell, Detective Rick Chandler, Silvers, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levate, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anapa Chris from Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Chief Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Bartis Cope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hauser, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Deputy Chris Taylor, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. My brothers and sisters, I owe you maybe 10 7 at this point in time, and some will be 10 10 at the title of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night, God bless, and please have a great week and a safe week. Fiery blade and 
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 